Well, so we're in uh, John 13 to 17, and uh, bef- before I get into the teaching today, let me tell you a joke. So have you heard the one about a woman who was walking down the beach, and she came upon a magic lamp? And uh, so she picked it up, and of course she rubbed it, and out came a genie. And he said, thank you so much for letting me out of my lamp, and now as a reward, I will give you whatever you wish, whatever you desire, just ask and I will give it to you. And so the woman thought for a while and she, she sort of uh, d- dug into her altruistic side and she said, you know, I, I've got to ask for something good. And so she pulled out a map and she, she pointed to, on the map to the genie. She said, see the Middle East here? There's always been unrest and there's always been wars and fights in this area of the world. I pray for peace or I want p- uh, peace in the Middle East. And then she said, scratch that, you're a genie. I want world peace. That's what I want. I want peace around the world. And the genie looked back at her and said, come on, I'm a genie, and I'm good, but I'm not that good. Ask me for something a little bit more reasonable. And so the woman thought, and she said, you know, what I really want is a good man. I want a man who is good-looking, smart, and sensitive, a man who will cook and clean for me. I want a man who will never watch sports on TV. I just want a good man. She was single, and, and that's my request. And the genie looked back at her, and he said, Where's that map again? (laughs) Some of you are saying, you tell that joke like once a year, but you always laugh, so I will do it again. Why do I tell that cheesy story? Well, the story reminds me of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so remember, we're in a series on the Upper Room Discourse, and this is a series of talks that Jesus gave his disciples just hours before he was crucified. And he's preparing them for life in the world without him. He's preparing them to live in a broken, dangerous world with peace and joy and comfort. And he's told them about joy. He said, if you find joy by serving others in the world. And he's told them about peace. He says, you find peace by recognizing my presence. Then last week, he talked about abiding, abiding in him. And this week, Jesus is going to talk about prayer. And when Jesus talks about prayer, it kind of reminds me of the genie in the bottle. Because what he says is, he says, ask me whatever you wish, whatever you desire, ask, and I will do. Now notice the verbs there. Jesus says, you ask, and God does. What does he mean by this? And and notice what he does here is he repeats this over and over again. So I'm going to read you three. He actually repeats this promise six times but I'm going to read you three of them. So the first time, this is in John 14, verses 12 to 14, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do also the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And then notice, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then he says again, John 15, verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit. And then John 16, 22, he repeats it again. In, in that day you will ask the, nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. It does seem a little dangerous, doesn't it? 
You know, just ask whatever you want, and God will do it for you. You know, if, you're, if you're like me, you think about this, and you think, boy, that, that seems like a blank check. check. It just seems so open-ended. Just ask whatever you want, really? And isn't this dangerous? You know, isn't this an open door for somebody to wrangle the control of the universe out of God's hand and say, my will be done, Lord? And hasn't it been abused? Like, think of the uh, prosperity gospel and the faith teachers who use this verse to tell people that God wants to make you healthy and wealthy and name it and claim it, and God will give you whatever you want. Hasn't this verse been abused by many people? What does Jesus mean by ask whatever you want and I will do it for you? Well, I don't want to immediately dismiss how stunning this promise is. But I think this really is a promise, and it's a stunning promise, and it's one that I think many Christians haven't taken advantage of, at least full advantage of. But I want you to see today, uh, as we look at what Jesus means by this, that Jesus says it within a context. You know, one of the most important things to do when you're reading the Bible and you come upon a verse is to ask the question, what is the context? What, what, are, the, the, what, what are the things that Jesus says before the promise and after the promise? And many people, they'll take a verse like this, and they'll take it out of context, and they'll put it on their refrigerator, and, ooh, ask whatever I want, and Jesus is going to do it for me. But you've got to put it in the, in the context of the upper room. Who is Jesus talking about, talking to? What is he talking about? What is he trying to say? And when you do that, I think you get a glimpse into what Jesus means when he gives us this promise. Because when Jesus makes the promise, he's assuming certain things are true about his audience. He's assuming certain prerequisites, certain, uh, he's making certain assumptions about the audience of, uh, who's receiving this promise. And today what I want to do is I want to look at four assumptions, four, not three, we're talking about prayer here, Four assumptions that Jesus makes about his audience before he gives them this promise. So the first assumption that Jesus makes here is he gives the promise to ask whatever you want is the assumption about mission. It's an assumption about mission. He's assuming a context of mission. He's assuming the ones who are going to be asking are a, are a people, are a group of disciples who are passionate about Uh, moving his mission forward in the world. So notice, Jesus doesn't give the promise when he was out, you know, on the grassy fields when he fed the 5,000 people. He doesn't look at that crowd and say, hey, you like this? You like the food that I gave you here? Ask whatever you want, and I'll do it for you. Jesus doesn't make the promise to a random group of people that may or may not care at all about him and his mission. Jesus makes the promise in the dim light of the upper room. Jesus here is talking to his disciples. And he's talking to them about mission. He's preparing them for life in the world without him. And he's assuming that the people that he's telling this to are passionate about for, uh, uh, bringing his mission to bear in the world. So notice that in the first uh, promise that he makes here in John 14, he even begins by saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Now, a a whole sermon could be on that one verse, but he's saying, listen, I'm going away. And when I go away, you are going to continue my work. 
In fact, you're going to do greater works than even I have done. So uh, Jesus, when he was in Galilee, he was one man in one geographical location. But when he goes, his spirit indwells every single Christian around the world. And so he's saying, you're going to go forth and you're going to do the same things that I have done, but you're going to do it everywhere, not just in Galilee, but in Judea and all the the, uh, ends of the earth. And so uh, Jesus healed when he was uh, here in the world, and Jesus fed the poor, and Jesus ministered to lepers, and he preached the gospel, and he, he brought the kingdom of God to bear here on this broken world. And he says, now, my disciples, this is your job. You're going you're to continue my mission. You are going to continue to bring the kingdom of God to bear on earth as it is in heaven, in, in Galilee as it is in heaven, in Jerusalem as it is in heaven, in Batesville as it is in heaven. This is your mission. And you're going to continue my work. And now, in order to help you do that, I'm going to give you this promise. Ask whatever you wish as far as it regards to that mission. Ask whatever you wish, and I'm going to do it for you. Maybe this illustration will help. So imagine you, you are a manager of a restaurant. And uh, the, the boss has been teaching you how to manage the restaurant without him. And, you know, he's been teaching you how to, you know, manage the servers and get the food out on time and to close when, when the restaurant is uh, done for the day. And he's been teaching you all these things. And then the time finally comes for the boss to say, okay, I'm leaving tonight and you're going to be on your own for the next week. I'm going to go, but I want you to keep this thing going until I come back. And he says, but here's my phone number. Whatever you need in this regard, whatever you need, just call me. Whatever you need, I am there to help you out. Whenever you run into a jam, I am, whatever it is, just call me. Now imagine you, the manager, you say, you start thinking, you know what, whatever I need, whatever I want, boy, I'd like a new car. I'd like a pair of of new ski boots. And so you call up the manager and, and you say, or the boss, and you say, you know what? You said whatever I want. I'd like a new car. How about that? And he says, you know what? I think you may have misunderstood. I meant everything as it relates to the mission of moving the restaurant forward. Jesus is kind of saying the same thing here. He's saying, I want you to ask whatever you want as it pertains to my mission of king, bringing the kingdom to, go, to bear on earth as it is in heaven. This is not a perfect illustration because Jesus did say, didn't he, that uh, all of your cares, all of your needs, you should bring everything to God, no matter how small. You could ask for whatever you want and, and, and for whatever you need, and you could bring all of those things to God, but this particular promise in this particular place is, is mainly in regards to the mission that you've been given. In prayer, we partner with God to move the kingdom of God forward. As Karl Barth said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. You don't like the world as it is? God doesn't like it either. And he wants you to pray his mission forward. That's what this promise is mainly in relation to. Uh, International Justice Mission uh, who's led by Gary Haugen, uh, one thing that they do in their mission is they have like hundreds of employees around the world and they, uh, they apply this promise to their work. So at 9.30 every morning, at 11.15 every day, they stop everything and every single employee prays that God furthers the mission to bring justice in the world. Why? He says it's because we believe that Jesus meant what he said. That whatever it is, if it's pertaining to my mission, you ask and you ask 
and you'll be, you'll be astounded by what I will do. So this is a promise, number one, that is assuming mission. Number two, it's a promise that's assuming something called abiding. So if you notice, uh, in John 15, 7, when he gives the promise, notice he really, he begins with a condition to the promise. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here's the condition. He says the condition is abiding. So before you ask whatever you want, whatever you wish, whatever you desire, he says make sure that you are abiding in me. Now, I'm not going to rehash the sermon I gave last week because uh, we talked about abiding last week, but essentially what the word abide means is it means to dwell. It means to live in Jesus Christ. It means that you're connected with him like the vine is to the branch. It means that you are constantly in fellowship with him and, and the, the lines of communication between you and Christ via the spirit is always open. And then he says, and I want my word to abide in you. This means that the, word of, the words of Jesus Christ are taking root in your life and beginning to fill your soul. And as you're connected with God, he says, if you're doing that, then ask whatever you wish. And he says, the Father will do it for you. Uh, Philip Yancey puts it like this. He says, over time, I've come to appreciate how meditation can transform my requests. Ultimately, I want to pray for what God wants. Spending time in meditative prayer, getting to know God, helps align my desires with God's. Right? The more you abide in him, the more you get to know the Lord through abiding. You get to know his heart. You get to know his desires. And your desires begin to conform to his desires. And when that begins to happen, then your prayers begin to just flow out of God's heart for you in the world. And so as you abide, as you're close to the Lord, your desires are shaped, and then you can ask whatever you want. My brother, when he was a young Christian, he was at a prayer meeting. And at the prayer meeting, they asked him to pray out loud in a, in a circle, you know, and he was, real, he, he was a brand-new Christian. He didn't want to pray out loud. You know, it's okay to pray by yourself, but when you're praying out loud, it's kind of uncomfortable. And so he asked the leader, what do I pray for? And the leader said, pray just for whatever is on your heart. And so Josh started thinking, that's my brother's name, what's on my heart? And there was a really pretty girl across the room. Boy, she's on my heart. And he was thinking about surfing and oh, the good waves tomorrow, that's on my heart too. A lot of things are on his heart. But, you know, he was a brand new Christian, and those desires may not have aligned with the desires that God had for him. And so Jesus says, abide in me. And yeah, I think a brand new Christian, you know, some of the most amazing prayers are given by brand new Christians who don't know any better. They just pray with whatever, for whatever they want. But honestly, as you grow in the Lord, as you abide and you get to know him, your desires change and therefore your requests begin to change. He says, abide in me. And once you do that, you, you know, your, your desires change and you'll, you'll be asking for the right things. James 4.2 puts it this way. You do not have because you do not ask. And then he says, you, do, you, at, you ask and you do not receive. Why do you ask and you do not receive? Because you ask wrongly so you could spend it on your own passions. All right, so, the, this, you know, it's not just a blank check to just, act, like a genie in the bottle, just ask for whatever you want. He says, listen, spend time with me, abide in me, and your desires will begin to change. 
your heart will begin to change. St. Augustine has a little letter where he's writing to a noble woman, a very wealthy noble woman, about prayer. She had requests, you know, how do I pray and what's prayer about? And so he writes her these letters, and it's, fa- it's a really fascinating exchange. Her name was Ana- Anicia Proba, and you could find it, if you Google this, you could find it online. But here's one advice that he gives her. He says, before you ask for anything, you must get something settled in your mind. What is it? He says, you must account yourself desolate in the world, however prosperous you may be. She's a wealthy woman. He says, before you ask for anything from God, you count yourself as desolate in the world, however prosperous you may be. Because he says, everything out there that you might desire will not bring you lasting happiness. Only, you only find your completion in the arms of God. And once you have found that completion, once you are full of God and you're content with him, then you go to him and you begin to ask. So abide in him. Let him fill you. Let his word fill you. You know, learn what he desires and then ask. And so that's the second assumption uh, is the context of abiding in him. Here's the third assumption. The third assumption has to do with desire. He's assuming that, that your unique desires are important. He's assuming that you're praying for something that you actually really want. Now, this is important because up until now, you're might, you might be saying, oh, I get it. Pray, you know, ask and I will do whatever you say, but not really. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. Ask and I'll do whatever you want as long as it's what God wants. And, uh, you know, really ask what God wants, not what you want. You might be kind of thinking that right now. But I think, you know, notice Jesus really does say, ask whatever you desire. In other words, Jesus is saying, Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Seriously. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. <laughs> because I think a lot of times we can pray for the things that we think are, you know, spiritual. You know, have you ever seen Meet the Parents? And you, uh, Bill, uh, Ben Stiller is praying at the dinner table. And he's never prayed before in his life. And they asked him to pray. And so what does he do? He prays the song that he heard in the grocery store earlier that day, day by day, day by day, oh Lord, three things I pray, to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly, to see thee more clearly, day by day, amen. He didn't want any of those things. He didn't want to see the Lord more clearly. He didn't want to love him more dearly. He didn't want that. And what Jesus is saying, pray, sure, abide and be on mission, but then pray what you really, really desire. Because every single one of us has desires, godly, redeemed desires, you know, desires that God has put within you. And God wants you to pray those things back to him. This raises a question, though. Some of you don't even know what you want, you know? Like some of you struggle with knowing, well, what do I really desire then? What do I really want? And some of your desires are conflicting with one another. You know, I want a hot body and I want tacos, Right, which one do I want? Which one do I want more? And so you've, you're, you're a bundle of conflicting desires, and sometimes you don't even know what you really, really want. But what Jesus is saying is, is get alone and reach deep into your redeemed desires, your deepest redeemed desires, and ask yourself the question, what do I really, really want God to do? What do I want God to do for me? 
Every single one of you sees unique problems in the world. Every single one of you sees unique issues that you are passionate about. There are desires that only you have, redeemed desires that only you have. And there are prayers that only you can pray. What are you passionate about? What are your desires? What Reach down to the deepest desires that you've got and pray those to God. Jesus says, ask whatever you really, really want. Do you remember in the Old Testament, there was a man in, named Nehemiah? He's a really short guy because Nehemiah. Oh, come on. The little, the little courtesy laugh would be nice. Thank you, Susie. And he was in Babylon, and he was a cupbearer to the king, and he hears that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. You know, the city of the great king, the city of his forefathers, the walls are broken down. And it says that he was so wrecked by this, he was so broken by this, that he just sat down and he mourned for days. And it says that right after he did that, it says that he brought those, that, that desire to God in prayer. He saw the broken walls. He had this deep yearning. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be done. And so he brings that desire to God in prayer. Pray your desires. There are certain things that only you see. There are good desires. There, there are good wants and yearnings that only you have. They're unique to you. Pray those things. And sometimes those things lead to a calling, just like it did for Nehemiah. Nehemiah prayed, oh God, fix those walls, get that thing going. And God said, okay, I want you to go. I heard the story last week of a man who was, he had some friends in Nashville, and they were kind of artistic people, and they, he knew there wasn't a church in Nashville that would really fit them. Uh, and so he started praying, God, I pray that they would find a church that would just meet their needs, that would be the, a church that would just fit them and reach them. And then he heard God tell him, I want you to go start that church. And so he went off to Nashville, and it all began with him reaching down and praying a desire. What do you want? What do you really, really want? Pray that. But let me move on to the final assumption. The final assumption has to do with change. Jesus is assuming here that when you pray, things actually change. That prayer actually changes things. That, that when you ask, God actually does things. And remember James chapter 4, verse 2, he says, you have not, why? Because you ask not. And you might be saying, well, wait a minute. You're saying that God won't do something if I don't pray for it? You're saying that maybe there are things that God wants to do and is willing to do that he doesn't do because I don't pray? The answer is yes. And someone says, well, what about the sovereignty of God? John Calvin wouldn't like that. You know, he believed in God's sovereignty and he believed that there was an unchangeable plan that was guiding the universe forward. What do you mean prayer changes things? Well, notice John Calvin, uh, in, on James 5, he actually comments on this verse where it says, Elijah prayed and it rained, and he prayed again and it stopped raining. And Calvin struck, wait, I thought God was in control and he would, do, he would do what he does no matter what. But then notice what Calvin says. He says, it was a notable event for God to put heaven in some sense under the control of Elijah's prayers to be obedient to his requests. Wow. God 
put the, the, the moving of the universe, in some sense, he's careful about his language, but he put the control of the universe in some sense under the prayers of Elijah. So he's assuming that prayer actually changes things. How does this work? I have no idea. <laughs> How is God sovereign and in control and yet subjects certain things to the to the movement of our prayer. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but I do know that that prayer does change things. Your life is going in one trajectory. You pray, God responds, and then it goes in a different direction. Your life, the events of the world are going one direction. You pray, God responds, and they go in a different direction. Prayer truly does move the heart and also the hand of God. Prayer changes things. You ask and God does. Blaise Pascal put it this way, God has instituted prayer so as to confer upon his creatures the dignity of being causes. Right? So in other words, your prayers are a means to what God is doing in this world. Prayer changes things. Jesus is assuming that. Uh, I was reading this, this past week in a book about prayer and there was one little story that taught, it was kind of an example about how God can change things through prayer. And it's a story that Tony Campolo tells. And uh, Tony Campolo, he, there's so many crazy things that happened to this guy, but this is one of them. He went to a, a Bible college in Philadelphia to give a, a lecture. And it was a Pentecostal college. And so before the lecture, they wanted to take him back behind the stage to pray for him. And he says, which is awesome. He says, the only thing that wasn't so awesome is how long they play, prayed for me. So they were back behind the stage, and they're praying. It's going on and on and on. And then he said that they had, all of, they had laid their hands on his head. And he says, when eight men are laying their hands on your head, that gets really uncomfortable. And then he said, on top of that, there was this one guy who wasn't even praying for me. He was praying for somebody else. And he, goes, he says he was praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzfus. So the guy says, dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the, the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Tony said, I wanted to inform the prayer that it was not necessary to furnish God with directional material. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something. God, bring that family back together. And so he's finally he prays that and they're done. And, and Tony was able to go up and give his sermon. And so he gave the sermon and he's on his way home on the, uh, the New Jersey uh, turnpike. And he sees a hitchhiker. And he picks the guy up. And I'll, I'll, this is what Tony Campolo says. He says, we drove a few minutes and I said, hi, my name's Tony Campoli. What's your name? He said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. He got a little uneasy with that. And after a few minutes, he said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? And I said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes and asked, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids, right? That blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. With shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the car door and never took his eyes off me. <laughs> then I really did him in as I drove right to his silver trailer. <laughs> when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge as he asked, how did you know that I lived here? And he said, God told me. <laughs> I believe God did tell me, he said. When he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then I said with real authority, the two of you sit down, and I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk, and you two are going to listen. Man, did they listen. That afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. And so he makes the point that God changes things when you pray. Would God have done this if, if Tony didn't hear that, you know, guy praying for him there behind the stage? Would God have done that? According to James 4, I would say no. You have not because you ask not. And what does God want to do through you in this world? What are things that only you can ask? What are desires that only you have? Redeemed desires, things that God wants to do. What are things that God wants to do in this city? What are ways that God wants to bring the kingdom of God in Batesville as it is in heaven? Through your prayers. In your business, in your family, with your kids, bringing justice to this place. What are the things that God wants to do in you and through you, through prayer. David Wells says this. He says, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness, the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. He says, in prayer, you look at the world and you say, That's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And sure, you're going to work to do, get things done. But he says, also pray. Pray and watch God work. He says, whatever you ask for, disciples, in the upper room, before he sends them out on mission, he says, whatever you ask for, I will do it. This is my promise. So let me, we got a couple more minutes here. Let me just, uh, in conclusion, uh, talk a little bit about unanswered prayer. Some of you I know, you know, you're cynical, and as I've been talking, there's, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, what about this, and what about that? What about if I've prayed these wonderful prayers, and God has not answered me? I got two things to say. Number one, keep on praying until you get an answer. You know, and Jesus tells a story about a man who goes one night to his neighbor asking for bread. Do you remember this story? This is before they were worried about gluten, but he goes... <laughs> goes to his neighbor and he bangs on his door at midnight asking for bread. And what does the neighbor say? He says, the door's already locked, I'm in bed, and so is my wife and all my kids. Go away. But the man finally got up to answer why. It's because of the, 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 the person at the door kept on knocking. Because of the man's, Jesus says, shameless audacity, the neighbor finally answered the door. And Jesus says, if this is true about a bad neighbor, we all have bad neighbors on our blocks. You know, those people that just are irritating, you're just wondering, when are you going to move? And if you don't know who that person is on your block, <laughs> it's probably you. But he says, even if a, if a bad neighbor will give in to the shameless audacity of continuous knocking, how much more will God answer you if you keep asking keep seeking, and keep on knocking. But there are things that you've asked for, and you've asked for them again and again and again, and God didn't give you your request. And I, 
And I understand those things that can be shattering. And sometimes God doesn't answer a prayer that, that seems so right, that seems so kingdom-focused, that seems like he should have answered. Well, here's another thing to notice. Notice the unanswered prayers of Jesus. Philip Yancey has a great little essay called The Unanswered Prayers of Jesus. And one in particular is, remember in the garden, a few hours from, the, from this particular address, he's in the garden and he prays probably the most intense prayer that he had ever prayed. God, if there is another way, let the cup pass. And even Jesus experienced unanswered prayer, so it's a mystery. It's a mystery, and in some ways we won't understand until we get to heaven, but, but this shouldn't be a reason not to pray. You know, Jesus' prayer went unanswered, but because of that, he went to the cross. He hung up there so that he might open a way for us to enter boldly into God's presence and fellowship with God and to ask him things in the name of Jesus. Two applications before we end. Uh, number one, I, I want you to, this week, at some point, sit down and just write down your desires. Just reach down deep and just, just write down your deepest kingdom desires. What are things that you feel passionate about? What are things that you just wish and long that God would do? Maybe it has to do with foster care. Maybe it has to do with uh, you know, expanding business in this city to bring shalom. Maybe it has to do with your marriage. Maybe it has to do with your kids. What do you deeply desire? And then pray. And then pay attention to how God might answer those prayers. And the second thing I want to bring before your attention is that we're going to actually do this as a church, so we're going to do a prayer walk um, before Easter on uh, April 7th, uh, we've, we're going to do it mainly through the small groups. So each small group is going to walk through a neighborhood and just pray for the people in the homes in that neighborhood. And then we're going to leave a little uh, hanger on the door that just simply says, we've prayed for you. And so uh, if you're in a small group, be ready for your group leader to tell you about that. If you're not in a small group and you want to do this, you could sign up at the Welcome Center and we will um, put you with a group that's going to be praying for the neighborhoods in our city. For God's kingdom to come on Batesville as it is in heaven. So let's, uh, let's pray together as we conclude. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this promise that you give us. And yes, there are caveats and there are assumptions that you make about this uh, uh, promise and, and there are things that we need to make sure that we're doing uh, in order for us to really even approach it. But God, we pray that you'd help us to not be timid but to be bold. God, I pray that we would ask that we would seek, that we would knock, that you might do. Do in, in such a way that you, that you bring the kingdom of God to bear on our lives. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.